Good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you, albeit virtually this morning, as we come to worship the Lord. I wonder, what comes to your mind when you think about justice? For some people, maybe it's the advancement of human rights, that people would be able to have equality of opportunity or equality of outcome in their lives, that everyone would be treated equal and everyone would have equal opportunity. But often, really, that's the the fruit of justice and not necessarily the root of it. There's also the element of social justice, which is sometimes seen as social action, the idea of doing good things, helping the poor, helping the marginalized and the vulnerable. These are very good things, but they are very much, again, the fruit of justice and not really the definition of what justice is. Maybe some people, though, would speak about justice in the terms of crime and thinking about those who get what is fair when it comes to justice. If they break the law, then they deserve to be met with justice. But what is justice? And then on the other side, what is righteousness? On a positive slant, it can be seen perhaps as those with integrity, those who are upright or blameless. And really from a a biblical worldview, if we think about it, In the Old Testament, those who were considered righteousness walked in covenantal faithfulness with God. That was, they were righteousness because of their relationship with the Lord. But on another side of things, you have the self-righteousness aspect, which is really people trying to be righteous in their own eyes, trying to be good in their own eyes, trying to make up their own standards. And often we've seen that, haven't we, recently with uh, celebrities who say one thing and do another, maybe politicians who do the same, and journalists who maybe try to say one thing and do say one thing, but live a completely opposite one. They are self-righteous because really they set the standard. Because what is what is just, what is right, what is fair? That's the challenge that people face in society when they make up what justice and righteousness is, what they are, how they define them on their terms. And as a result, it's a struggle, therefore, to define justice and righteousness without God in the picture. So as we come to think about justice and righteousness, we think about the context that we're thinking about this morning. Taken from Isaiah chapter 9 and looking specifically at verse 7. In verse 6, it speaks about the child being born and the government will be on his shoulders. So clearly, there's a kingly aspect to this child who will be born. And then in verse 7, it says this, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It is to say that he will reign on David's throne. He will reign in justice and righteousness. And that will be displayed, ultimately, justice and righteousness will be displayed through a king, through an eternal and divine king. And the response that we should have to that king should be to worship him. So we're going to look at that this morning through three lenses. We're going to worship the king of justice and righteousness from three perspectives. 
Firstly, the promised king. Secondly, the just king. And thirdly, the eternal king. So as we come to think about worshipping him, we think about worshipping him as the promised king. Promised as he's promised in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3 to 5. It says this, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash round his waist. As we think about who the Lord is in Isaiah, previously in Isaiah chapter 9, he is that fourfold uh, God. He is the, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor, the Eternal Father. That he is the divine King, the one who has come and will reign. So it's clearly not speaking about King Hezekiah, who is just a, a normal king, a king of Judah. No, it's speaking about a mighty God, a mighty king who will reign in justice and righteousness. And as well, earlier in in chapter 11, it speaks of the descendant David. He is a descendant of David and the spirit of the Lord will be upon him to judge the wicked. And as well, he will be able to judge and he will judge in righteousness and justice not as some would imagine that he would judge as a, a an army commander through force no he will judge as it says there by word and spirit but he will judge by the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips that this king will come not in a military might way but with word and spirit he will judge he will pronounce judgment upon people as the eternal king and so as we see this promised king we see that he will become the just king the just king and that is most emphatically pronounced in psalm 89 Psalm 89 speaks of it in verse 14 and 15, and it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. It has a a beautiful picture of what righteousness and justice really are. Righteousness and justice are holiness, purity, excellence, without blemish. They are perfection in it, in themselves. That justice is upheld in a perfect manner with the Lord. And the fruit of that, as the Lord establishes his throne in righteousness and justice, the fruit of that, as it says there, is blessing. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. And so when we walk, when we walk in justice and righteousness, when we walk in holiness and purity in our lives, all of a sudden the Lord starts to bless the things that we do. In business, when we work work with integrity, when we show God's holiness in our lives, the Lord will bless that. In our families, when we show holiness and purity and righteousness, the Lord will bless that. In our individual lives, as we seek to bless our neighbours, seek to serve those around us and display the character of God in our lives, God will bless that because we walk 
in his light. We don't walk in our own righteousness. No, we walk in his. And therefore, we are blessed as a result. And this is really in contrast, in context to King Ahaz, who rejects the word of God, who chooses his own path, chooses to be wise in his own eyes. And as a result, doesn't receive blessing, but receives judgment. And really, King Ahaz, he rejects God, and he is a ruler trying to rule in his own power. Much like King Herod, in the story of Jesus coming, King Herod wanted to, to destroy him because he wanted power, power for himself, and didn't want to share it with anyone else. And this is the challenge with authority and power in the hands of men. We've seen that recently, haven't we, with with the devolved governments, how they try and work together, but because they have power, they want to show that power in how they do it. And so as a result, there's fracture everywhere. No one really knows what's going on because everybody wants to claim power. They reject the Lord. There's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of turning to the Lord in any of this discussion, but it's all about a power struggle, which often doesn't really lead to blessing in how we live as citizens. And not only that, but as we think about who who this judge is, who this just king is, we see that he is a judge. Because in uh, Acts 13, it speaks of who this person is, this promised king, this just king. In Acts 13, it says, We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. It is to say that this king is our Lord Jesus Christ. That he has, because of his resurrection, proved that he is Lord of all and king of everything. And it mentions in Acts 13, it mentions Psalm 2, because Psalm 2 is significant in showing who the king is, who the king is to judge the world. In Psalm 2, verse 6 to 9, it speaks of this king like this. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. It is that this this king who will reign, will reign with a scepter, a rod of iron, a rod of, of the scepter, to show that he is sovereign, to show that he reigns over all the nations, over every nation, whether they recognize him or not, that he is the king, that he is the judge. And that he will judge the nations with the image of judging the nations, smashing them to pieces like pottery. This is the fearful reality of those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who reject him, face nothing but judgment. Because the Lord has placed a judge above us. His name is the Lord Jesus. He has been appointed as King over all of us whether we recognize him or not. The interesting thing recently was that 
uh, I was going through the Christianity Explored course with, uh, with, some, with some people, a group of people, and the discussion came up very much about the Lord's resurrection. If Jesus is raised from the dead, well, what does that mean? And it's not just about uh, proving who Jesus is as God. It is. But it's also about proving who he is as Lord, as King. Because if the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then he is this king. He is this king who has been installed on the, on, on the Mount of Zion, on the holy mountain. That he has all authority to judge every nation. And as a result, we need to ask the question, do you believe in this Lord Jesus? Do you believe in who Jesus is? That because he's raised from the dead, that he is king over all? And has the power and authority to judge everyone. If that's not true of you this morning, let me take, let me ask you to take time to reflect upon receiving the Lord Jesus as your King. That you would not be under judgment, that you would be saved from your sin when you trust in Him. Because ultimately, the King doesn't just judge us, but He is the one that comes to save us. As it mentions in Isaiah chapter 33 verse 22 For the Lord is our judge the Lord is our lawgiver the Lord is our king. He is the one who will save us. And that's a wonderful picture that both he is Lord and judge and king and yet he comes into our life to redeem us. He comes in to save us. And that in the Gospel of Luke is exactly what is written, that he comes to be our saviour, that the Lord, our King, is our saviour. And that's wonderful news, because the King just doesn't come to judge us. The King comes to save us for all those who would receive him. Because the reigning King redeems us. The King of glory redeems us. The reigning King redeems us. I wonder, perhaps, if you've thought about it in, the, in this term, that Jesus left his throne of glory, came into a crib, onto a cross, and then received his crown. A crib, a cross, and a crown. That he was in heaven with his Father, reigning from all eternity with him, and that he came into a manger, taking on all of our filth, but then walked the perfect life taking all of our sins upon himself on the cross. And then the Lord raised him up to be crowned in glory. The crib, the cross, and the crown. And so it is with us that when we humble ourselves, when we humble ourselves, then we are born again, not in a crib, but we are born again by the Spirit of God. He gives us a new life and a new identity in Christ as his people. And not only that, when we, when we realize that, when we are born again as his people, then we realize that we die to ourselves. We, we die. We, we go to our own cross. We put, our, put to death the old ways that we used to have, and we live for our king who has redeemed us. Not only that, but he has redeemed us, and he has also raised us, that we have been, in one way, raised with Christ, and that we will on the last day, reign with him, that we will be given a crown of glory. 
that we are taken from a crib to a cross to a crown because the reigning king redeems us. Not only that, but he is not just the promised king, the just king, but also the eternal king. In Isaiah chapter 9, it speaks about that in verse 7, as we mentioned. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That he will reign in justice and righteousness forever. And this is really the promise of a better king. King Ahaz fell short in many ways, and so does many other kings in the Old Testament when we read through it. We realize that they are pointing to a better king, an eternal king, the promised king who will come, the eternal one, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus will judge and also justify. He will make us right with God as the eternal king. It speaks about him reigning over all things in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15 and 16. It says, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ isn't just our friend. He is our King. And he reigns eternally in every way over all things, over all creation, in every circumstance, even the ones we face today. And that's a great reassurance, isn't it? To know that our Lord Jesus Christ reigns over all things. That he reigns eternally over everything. And everything is in his hands. But there's also a warning there, isn't there? For those who refuse to come to him. That there is only wrath and judgment that awaits. But for those who are with him, he is their king. And they can rejoice in having an eternity with the eternal king. And that's really the, the piece of Jesus' first coming because Advent is, is a reflection on, firstly, rejoicing in the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also the second coming, waiting for the second coming, knowing that he will come back to judge the living and the dead because he is eternal in every way. And that's exactly why in Matthew, in the story of Jesus' birth, the Magi came to Jesus And they worshipped him. They worshipped him because they knew who he was. The eternal king. And because of that, because he is the king, he makes us right. He saves us from our sin. And he makes us right with the Lord. And as a result of that, we have peace with God. Because that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens when we trust in our Lord Jesus. Because it says in Isaiah chapter 32, the Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile land. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Isn't it wonderful that we can worship the Lord God 
that we can worship him who is our king and he has made peace with us that we were warring against us against him but he has made peace between us and god that we might have peace in our lives that we might have quietness and confidence in our lives even in unsettling times that we would be able to trust the lord because he reigns over everything as we come to close to think about that let us ponder these two pieces let us come to worship jesus our king who reigns over everything nothing is outside his control let us worship jesus and secondly let us dwell on the peace that he has brought us that by his sacrifice leaving his heavenly throne dying on a cross paying for our sin that we might have peace in our lives and peace with god as we think about the next two songs we're going to sing the next two songs the lord is a mighty king so it's a new song but we're going to think about that and who the lord is as he is mighty and reigns over everything and the second one is a christmas carol come come all you faithful but in the ver- in the chorus it says come let us adore him let us worship the lord let's pray together father god we thank you that you've uh, appointed your king that he reigns over everything our lord jesus christ that he will judge the wicked that he will come to make us uh, eternally righteous because he has come to to save us from our sins that one day we will be with him forever so lord help us to worship you to bow down and worship you as our king to dwell on the truth that you have given us peace in our lives peace in our hearts no matter our circumstances that we can trust you and worship you as you reign on high in jesus name amen